Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. You know, they were all just people and nice people. You know, you've got Bruce Springsteen jumping up on your drum riser, screaming into his microphone. He's right in my face and I'm singing backup vocals with him. And I'm realizing this is really him. This isn't an act. That whole, you know, Jersey boss routine, it's not a shtick. This is the real guy. And that's when I just went, I'm, I'm starting to understand something here. Again, that people are just people. And artists are just like me. They want to experience something. And when they're passionate about something, they're in it. 100%. He didn't let go of that persona of him, you know, of, of who he was at any minute. He was present. He was there. And it was powerful, man. I was just be, beside myself. And how do I react? I sing backup vocals as loud as I possibly can. I'm banging the drums as hard as I can. I'm grooving so everybody else on the stage is impacted by this moment. And there's no time for ego when you come off the stage and you go, Hey, you know, Bruce, man, that, that was really cool. And he's like, yeah, man, that was fun, man. We should do that again sometime. I'm like, yeah, we should do that again sometime, but I'm not going to go home and go, Hey, so, uh, Bruce wants to uh, do some more stuff. No, that's just a moment that I get to carry around saying, all right, I've experienced that. I know what that's like. Moving on, what's next? I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. 
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and even glutathione production to help protect cells. So let's own our healthy aging narrative. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go cell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. David, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. And it is uh, truly an honor to be here. Really, thank you. My pleasure to have you here. Um, I came across your work because you wrote in and you told me a little bit about what you did. And I think what got me was the fact that you have been a musician your entire life. And I have a, a strong affinity for musicians, having been one myself and knowing what it takes and what goes into a musical career. Uh, but before we get into all of that, uh, I want to start by asking, what did your parents do for a living? And what impact did that end up having in the choices that you've made with your life? Well, you know what? I'm glad you asked that question because I've listened to your podcast and I've heard the different questions you uh, ask <laughs> the others. And this uh, question really has a great impact on my life. Um, my father was a musician and he was a composer and a comedian and just an overall lover of life. Um, and my mother supported him, but at the same time, she had her own path. She was into um, several different types of arts, um, you know, whether it was household arts, I would, I would call, you know, macrames and painting um, just for pleasure, you know. Um, but she was actually in... Uh, criminal defense for 29 years, um, working with uh, attorneys in Miami. And that's where I grew up in Miami. Um, but we were surrounded by the entertainment industry. Um, my father was very heavy as a drummer, um, back in the sixties. Um, he played with Frank Sinatra and Sammy Davis and, any major uh, comedian or act that came to uh, South Beach, Miami Beach in its heyday. He also hung out at the after hours clubs with Miles Davis and Coltrane and th the likes of, of jazz history. Um, so when I grew up, I had, anytime somebody came to town, they came to my house. 
my dad was the official host of, you know, the Miami jazz scene, as well as the comedy scene. So my mother was such an incredible support uh, to all of this. She enjoyed it. She would make a, a big pot of sauce and they'd break bread and people would just hang out in the house and play music and tell jokes. And I got to grow up watching people interact and support and respect and appreciate each other's arts. And, and it was never competitive. You know, somebody might go, ah, oh, damn, he got me on that. Or oh, he took it, you know, he took it someplace and he pushed me. But it was so respectful and, and appreciated. You pushed me. You made me think about something. And that's what I miss in my own life now, which is um, just so much of it is due to technology. And, you know, reading, I, I picked up your book, as you know, and I got to tell you, it was the first, it was one of these moments where I went, somebody understands me. Somebody is thinking like I'm thinking and you're finding your path and you're finding your process. Just like my father did. He figured out what his process was to be successful. And he found his time to be in complete, uh, just a presence of, you know, so that he could orchestrate and so that he could compose. I mean, he was, was a part of this lost art and culture that used to sit there with 27 staffs of paper spread out across a giant table and a pitchfork. And he'd bang the pitchfork on the table and he'd listen to it. He'd hear the A, 440. And he would begin to scribble down note for note in a, you know, line for line, instrument for instrument, a complete orchestration or a complete chart for the jazz band that he was conducting or the, the small group that he was playing with. You know, he, he found his process, he found his place, and he had to make time for that, you know, and there, and there weren't all these outside influences at that time. You know, he'd close the door and he'd go to work. And he'd come out days later. And living in that type of household, I learned that process. And it was accepted in my house. So when I started doing it at an early age, which was right around the age of 10, I was supported. And that made such a, a major impact on my life. I don't know that I would be here doing what I do for a living in my life if I didn't have that support and that comfort and that confidence building uh, environment. So I could go sit in my room and start working on something on a, on a cassette player or just go practice drums or play piano or sing to the Beatles records. And it was supported. It was me finding my, my own voice, my character at a very early age. So yeah, my parents had a pretty major, uh, you know, influence and impact on, on my life today. You know, unfortunately, I, I lost my father uh, 15 years ago to cancer. Uh, my mother's still alive. She lives in Chicago. And she's still my biggest fan. When I create something, she's the first person that I email. She's the first person that I call, even outside my wife. You know, it's because I know that that's what she lives for. That's my connection to the past. That's my root. Um, and that's really what keeps me going. And my wife has has 
taken over year after year since we've been married. She has taken that role of that support. I come home, I tell her what's going on, I play her something, she hears something, and it, and it radiates. I'm connecting with her on a different level. I'm, being, I'm able to share something with her. And whether she likes it or not, it's she just respects the facts, the fact, and honors the fact that I'm doing what I absolutely love to do. And I'm, I'm enjoying my life. I'm filling my life, which makes our life better. So, yeah. uh, you know, there, there's that. <laughs> yeah. So I wonder with parents, particularly parents who are artists, uh, did you see them struggle ever? Oh, good Lord. Yes. Oh my gosh. I mean, we could, now we get to go down the, the other path of, I saw my dad completely lose everything. I saw him lose his family. I saw him lose his marriage. I saw him dis. I personally was affected by our disconnect um, when I started achieving more success than he ever did at, by the time I was 17 years old. Um, it's, there's a lot of struggle. Um, I could tell you of, of my personal struggles there were years when um, it was right around 9-11 and I was living in Nashville and the entire music industry just dropped out. I saw friends having to, you know, just dissolve their businesses and their studios and their production companies and the record companies failing. And this was a time of Napster and Lime, LimeWire at the same time. So that had a major effect on everything. But there were times where I actually sat up in my apartment and I would wake up at the sound of every street noise because I was afraid they were going to come and repossess my car because I hadn't paid my car payment in three months, you know, or avoiding, you know, uh, my landlord for you know a couple weeks. But I, yeah, I saw my, my parents struggle in so many ways, especially my father as music became more, um, less organic and more electronic. Um, it, it's funny because he was a big, uh, a big conduit for electronic music and technology through being a teacher and an educator. I mean, he was one of the people that, um, is, you know, really responsible for creating the recording arts and electronic arts programs in, um, colleges in Miami. Um, recording programs. He wrote the book and built the studios and would bring home $10,000 synthesizers just for us to play on for the weekend because they were delivered to the, to the school. Um, so as technology started to build and he just lost that connection, um, or, or I guess, I guess he, I don't know that he even had the desire um, to connect to where technology was going, he was happy in his analog world. He was happy in his scribbling on papers and using a four track recorder. And that, because of that, he struggled and he didn't adapt to the changing times fast enough. It was later in his life where I turned him on to things and I would buy him a, you know, a big workstation keyboard and he would get into it and he would get bored with it. it. It didn't give him the expression of sitting at a grand piano or sitting behind a drum set where it's, you're, you're feeling the reaction. You're, 
inspired by the sound resonating against your body and the dynamics that you can create from it and all the different uh, nuances um, that can be created with uh, an acoustic instrument. And I, I think that's just where his heart was. That's what he wanted to do. And that was his path. And that's what he knew. Um, and because of that, he struggled, you know, well into his years. Um, but he was also an educator um, at that time. And he struggled with education because at the time in the 90s, um, funding for the arts and funding for, uh, you know, education was just being sucked out of the school systems. So what he had access to was no longer available or programs that he wanted to develop. He couldn't based on budgets. So he struggled in, in many ways. And, you know, it's, it's unfortunate because I can, I can look back at his life and go, I think the anxiety and angst of his struggles was uh, a heavy component of his illness. Um, and just like so many artists and, uh, you know, geniuses of that time, they find a habit. His was alcohol. And that took him down, you know, a very long and unhealthy road. And I distanced myself from that. It just wasn't my thing. Um, and it was tough to watch. You know, I have a sister who's five years younger. And she was, she was at the age where she didn't have the strength and the knowledge to disconnect at that time. She felt, you know, she knew that he was ill, but she felt sorry. And she was the comfort for many, many years where I was, I just ran from it as fast as I could, you know. But at the same time, uh, my life by the time I was 17 was just literally just blowing up. The momentum of my career had just completely taken off. Um, I was, by the time I was 17, I was producing for the Verve Polygram label and with records that featured Herbie Hancock and the late Larry Coriel on guitar. And, and I was touring the world by the time I was 18. And, you know, that, that had a big impact on my relationship with my father, um, which I think put him in, into an even darker depression. Um, so that was tough. Yeah, that, that's, uh, yeah, so, yeah, the struggle is, is real for any artist. Um, and you just have to, I guess you either have to adapt and adopt that as a lifestyle, as a part of your life and prepare for it, which takes, it just takes a commitment to your craft and a commitment to your art to know that it's not always going to be as successful as you want it to be. And you have to be there in those times and, and, and learn not to crush it and, and, uh, you know, yeah, I, I guess I, I guess that's that's the struggle, you know. Yeah, I wonder uh, uh, what decisions did you make in the midst of watching your dad struggle, and what have you changed your mind about since then? Oh, um, well, my father was in in many ways my focal point of success. Um. Because we had this distant relationship, 
I um, achieved an incredible amount of success um, to impress him, to share with him, um, to give us something to talk about, to give us uh, some way to connect, you know, um, and just wanting him, you know, to, to appreciate what I've become, um, because he was my father, you know, and taking everything that I was educated by, you know, uh, living in his life, you know, and, and being a part of his life, I took it to the highest levels that I possibly could. And I couldn't, do what he was doing. I saw where he was, you know, faltering. I, I saw where he was drinking. I saw where he was bashing the industry and, and, you know, bashing institutions and pissed off about music and where it was going and music sucks and these artists suck. And how can you listen to that? There's too much bass. There's, you know, it, it, it's kind of just that, that, um, I laugh about it because I, I just turned 50 in October. And I remember my mother and father telling me about the birth of rock and roll and jazz and how their parents hated it and they bashed it, you know? So here I'm listening to my father bash my generation of, um, of art. And, um, you know, I, I, I never, I was never a drinker. I was never into drugs. I was never, in, I, I never, I never gave myself the time to even reflect on my achievements. I was more interested in the next thing, challenging myself and just being committed to my craft in a way that, well, it ruined 30 years of relationships and, uh, you know, just, just, uh, romantic relationships you know my my music came first um my art came first what i needed to do that took priority um and that all changed when i was i have to figure it out now oh, it's 50, yeah i was 32 when i had my son my son devin that changed everything and that was a, a previous relationship from my, my my current wife and children um and that was um a surprise <laughs> you know it was living the rock and roll lifestyle and hey you're gonna be a father and it was a conscious decision at that moment to make that my number one priority to spend the rest of my life appreciating and supporting my, my child in the ways that my father really didn't know how, you know, and this goes back to, um, when he was born, um, his mother, um, you know, got pregnant, um, and met and, just through a, uh, you know, just a, uh, a one night re relationship at that time. And she met a, a gentleman who didn't want children. 
but wanted to marry her. So as soon as my father was born, they dropped him off at her sister's house. So my father grew up in this household of love and affection for the first seven years of his life with somebody that he thought was his mother and thought that his cousin was his sister. And then seven years later, they came back to pick him up. And he was like, who are these people? You know? And at that time, um, his mother was pregnant um, with his sister. And his his father, his stepfather, Hal, just never accepted him as his own on many levels because he wasn't. So it was a, it was a constant battle in his household. By the time he was 14, uh, his father said, uh, you better look at going into the service because I'm not paying for it and you got to figure out what you're going to do. And that's the only way you can ever do anything. So you might as well think about quitting school and moving on. This is at 14 years old. Um, and then life challenges at 16 years old, he quit school, went to Chicago, joined the Navy, um, got out of the Navy a couple of years later, moved, um, back to Miami, um, and put himself through college, through university of Miami. He actually started off pre-med and then realized that music was his passion. And he made it happen for himself. He put him put himself through college, um, getting his uh, getting his master's in uh, orchestration and, and composition. Um, and on on the day of his recital of his graduation, he called his parents and said, "I've got two seats right in front. I'm, I'm hoping you'll show up." And at the end of the concert, he, I mean, he spent his entire recital staring at two empty seats. And when he was done, they finally showed up at the house later and they said, oh, we found some property we wanted to go check out. So, you know, congratulations. And then they left. So he never had this bonding um, example of, of what a father should be like or, or the, you know, a love and affection in a, in, a, in a home, in a family. So it took me years to understand that he only could do what he knew how to do. And his biggest struggle was trying to figure out how to be my father the best that he could with the knowledge and experience that he had. So that's what I got out of my relationship with my father was I'm going to learn all the things that he taught me in my household, um, which he's, he, he was an amazing person to me. He was so supportive. We did so much together until everything started to dissolve in his life and he became bitter. And that was right around the divorce when I was 12 years old. So for the first 12 years of my life, I had love and affection and a beautiful relationship with my father. Um, inspiring. I used to sit at the, at the base of the drum set and just watch him solo. And I would giggle. I was like, how the hell are you doing that? that that's absolutely brilliant. And it was a connection. He would look at me and laugh and, and do fills and, and play in the band and kick the band. And I would just totally get off on this because he was sharing that, you know, it was, it was, it was just a language that was ours. And I knew that even early on, just 
how to communicate through music and, and through passion and expression in music. So I was able to take all of these things from the g- good parts of my, my relationship with my father and put those into my own life work and acknowledge the, the, the shortfalls and the pitfalls of his career and of his own life and identify those in my own if I saw them come up. If I saw myself get depressed, I immediately just, you know, went hardcore on myself. Okay, we need to change this thinking. We need to change this, you know, this this course pretty quick. You you know where this goes, and it's not good. So I was pretty motivated um, to continue to be successful and succeed. Because I was still, up until the day he died, trying to impress him, um, just to show him that, look what you've made, look what you, look what you've done in your life. You think you've failed on so many levels, or that you've missed out on so many things in your life, but here I am. I am you. Look what you've look what you've created. And the toughest thing for me was I was there at his at his deathbed by his side. And so the last words he said to me um, were, you spent your entire life trying to impress me. And you never had to do that because I was just impressed by the fact that you were my son. And in one moment, I was just like, you're an asshole. You waited this long to tell me this? Here I am, like struggling and, you know, just busting my ass to, you know, create these successes and achievements. And you just love me because I was your son. I didn't have to do any of that. But it made me who I was, who I am today. And I have two more children. I have a four year old son, Jamie, and a five year old daughter, uh, Sarah. And I support them just just with the fact that they're my kids, you know, and, and my, 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 my oldest Devin, who is currently on his way to Los Angeles to produce a group at 19 years old. And he's doing amazing work. Um, and he's been in music since he was 12 and performing since he was 12 and releases, you know, material on his own and writes for big artists and produces artists and mixes artists, you know, at 19, and very much like I was doing, but I can appreciate it and I support it um, on a level that my father just didn't know how to. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the long-winded answer of, of how I changed and what I learned from from this cause, you know? You know, when I hear you say that, I think the, the thing that comes to my mind uh, is as I think about all the disagreements that I've had with my own parents, uh, it's that they're largely the byproduct of everything that they've taught, not necessarily malicious intent when they do things that I don't agree with or I find right. right. Yeah, I, 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 I have to agree. <laughs> Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. 
From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and even glutathione production to help protect cells. So let's own our healthy aging narrative. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go cell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. You are an interesting breed in that you're 50, so you've been around this world uh, which predates technology and social media and building a career in the arts. So there are a couple of places that I want to take this. Okay. One, you were exposed to cultural icons at a very early age in your life, and I wonder what impression those people had on you in terms of your commitment to craft, what practices and habits you picked up uh, as a result of growing up in this immersive music environment. The other thing that really struck me was the fact that you achieved a level of success that most musicians could only dream of very, very early in life. And I wonder how in the process of reaching sort of the heights of your career at such an early age or what is one of the first heights, uh, how do you do that and keep your ego in check? Okay. So this is, this is a great this, this is this is a, a very complete subject, and I and, and I appreciate you thinking about it, um, like in, in two sections that way. So, growing up with icons and geniuses of their craft, I mean, there's a drummer, Buddy Rich, um, the greatest drummer ever. You ask any drummer, Buddy Rich was probably the greatest drummer ever, and some will say, well, Louis Belson was, but Buddy Rich. My father was one of Buddy Rich's favorite drummers. I actually have Buddy Rich's drum set that he gave to my father back in 1968 um, in my studio. Um, There was, you know, going back to what I was saying before, there was such a level of respect for each other. Um, And there was constant communication, verbal communication. And then they also got to share on a level of musical communication and cerebral communication, um, just in, in energy. And it's, it's that respect that I carried through my entire life in realizing they were just people. They were always just people. And the funny thing was in small groups, they were egoless. They, they were just people drinking wine and eating pasta and smoking pot and hanging out and just having, having, just enjoying their lives, fulfilling their lives with other people. 
And I got to realize that here are these, you know, by uh, on so many levels, geniuses of, of their time, uh, of their craft, but they're just regular people. They're walking into my bedroom and they're watching me play drums to their records and they're laughing and they're having a great time. Or my dad is outside helping them convert their van into some kind of, you know, apartment or, you know, just crazy shit like that. They were just regular people. And as I grew up and started to achieve these successes, I think what allowed me to um, achieve so many successes early on was I was able to communicate on their level. I was always the youngest person in the room. Um, and I was the kid, you know, um, I can get into stories, uh, in, in this part about how people used to call me young Dave or little Dave or Davey. And most people were, were two times my age, three times my age, most of the time. But there was a level of respect that I was there because I had you know, I don't want to say earned because I was young, but I had the ability to communicate and perform on their level. So I wouldn't have been there if I wasn't supposed to be there or couldn't be, you know, I wasn't able to, to keep up with them. Um, or, you know, they wouldn't benefit from my input or from my ability to, from my performance. So I spent years and years and years, which um, one of your guests, um, intentional practice, um, years, eight hours a day practicing and practicing and practicing. And it wasn't for the reason to be a badass or to just the idea of wanting to be the best drummer or best musician in the world. That wasn't in my mind. It was, I want to be able to execute something on the drop of a dime, when it's needed there, I want to be able to communicate that to inspire the next person in the room. And they're going to be so much better than me, I'd better be prepared. And that's how I, I, I have viewed my entire life. I've surrounded myself with people that are better than me, or that I just completely respect and admire their craft. So I'm inspired by the people that I work with. So there's no time for ego. You know, as, as soon as the ego gets involved, you lose the, the truth of your own creativity. You lose your character. You lose everything that is you. You lose your fingerprint. Now you're, you're just an asshole, you know, and you lose jobs and you lose that connection within the community. Um, you, it's, there, there's no time for that. There's no time for ego. Um, and, and, and it comes around to another um, challenge for me all my life, which I met face on a couple of years ago, was that I've spent half my life apologizing for being a great musician or a talented individual or someone of an incredible knowledge of music and artistry and many things. And it's because I have wanted to fulfill my life in a way that made me feel whole, 
and made me feel happy to be me and gave me a greater outlet for expression. So, you know, it's, I was, you know, here I am in, in Criteria Recording Studios, Herbie Hancock is playing grand piano on a track, and people are, you know, that are living in the area or outside, you know, in the community. I'm a, you know, I'm an 18 year old asshole because I somehow got my way in there and I haven't earned it. I don't deserve it. So when I would see them in public, I'd be like, Hey, how's it going? Yeah. Oh, it's okay over the, yeah, you know, it's all right. You know, I'm finding myself playing it down because I don't want to be ridiculed. I don't want to be bastardized because I'm having a great career at an early age and experiencing things that are just mind-boggling. You know, I mean, in my 20s, I've been on the stage with everyone from Bruce Springsteen, Sheryl Crow, Bruce Hornsby, Don Henley, Glenn Fry. He used to call me Young Dave. And, you know, they were all just people. And nice people. You know, you've got Bruce Springsteen jumping up on your drum riser, screaming into his microphone. He's right in my face, and I'm singing backup vocals with him. And I'm realizing this is really him. This isn't an act. That whole, you know, Jersey boss routine, it's not a shtick. This is the real guy. And that's when I just went. I'm, I'm starting to understand something here. Again, that people are just people. And artists are just like me. They want to experience something. And when they're passionate about something, they're in it. 100%. He didn't let go of that persona of him, you know, of, of who he was at any minute. He was present. He was there. And it was powerful, man. I was just be, beside myself. And how do I react? I sing backup vocals as loud as I possibly can. I'm banging the drums as hard as I can. I'm grooving so everybody else on the stage is impacted by this moment. And there's no time for ego. When you come off the stage and you go, hey, you know, Bruce, man, that, that was really cool. And he's like, yeah, man, that was fun, man. You should do that again sometime. I'm like, yeah. We should do that again sometime. But I'm not going to go home and go, hey, so uh, Bruce wants to uh, do some more stuff. No, that's just a moment that I get to carry around saying, all right, I've experienced that. I know what that's like. Moving on, what's next? And taking that and just turning it into the next step of my life. Sure, I can use that as a, it, it becomes a promotional tool. It definitely helps me in my career to get the next gig, but it's not changing me as a person on a level to where I've got to be, you know, egotistical about it. You know, I'm not the one walking around wearing a t-shirt saying, hey, I played on stage with Bruce Springsteen or any number of people that I, you know, have worked with over my career. It's, yeah, man, I'm incredibly blessed in my artistry and in my life. And it's because I've worked my ass off, man. Worked my ass off. Failed, success, failure, success, failure, success. And it's that commitment to continue 
through those failures because they're not forever. And you don't know when the next bit of success is going to be. You know, I wrote a song 11 years before it was ever discovered. And it became a number one hit. So it's you don't know what you're doing, when you're doing it, or why you're doing it. And then one day it reveals itself. Remember that thing you did? Well, we love that. So you just keep the commitment to your craft. You keep pushing forward and creating because you have to. You love it. This is your life. This is who you are. This is your fingerprint. When you're gone, you need to leave a fingerprint. That's what I miss in so much art these days is there's no fingerprint. It's all covered up with a plug-in or auto-tune or some kind of filter on a, on a Photoshop. I want the fingerprint. I want to know that that guy struggled a little bit. I want to know that that guy had his heart in it, that he wanted to surprise people one day when they looked at that painting or listened to that music and there's a, there's a laughter at the fade out or there's a dog barking or there's a giggle or there's a stick hit that didn't need to happen, you know, or there's a fingerprint in the corner and you go, it's such a gorgeous piece of work. Why would somebody put their fingerprint there? Ah, because now they're a part of the art. That's what I miss in technology. That's what I miss with social media. That's what I miss with, with creativity these days. You know, And that's why I, I started teaching a course called Unlocking the Creative Mind, trying to get people back to being a part of their art. And that's when I, you know, I just, again, reading your book, Audience of One, I was like, this guy gets it. This guy gets me, you know? And that was just, just such a moment of, of needed inspiration, man. And I was like, I got to write to this guy. I got to tell this guy that, you know, here I am being inspired by his knowledge and by his understanding of what it takes. Um, you're writing every day just to write, to get it out. You need to do that. You never know when you're going to need it. You got to be on your game. And that's what, that's what for me, my life has, has been about. I challenge myself to be a better husband. I challenge myself to be a better father. I challenge myself daily to be a better musician, to understand more, to listen more. That's the other thing that, um, you know, and I, I feel like a run on train here, but that's, that's the other thing that, has separated me from a mass of musicians. I listen. People think that I'm not talking or I'm not listening to them. I'm listening so intently. I'm listening so far into their words, so far into what their intention is. And that's a big part of creativity that I try to educate is there has to be intention. What are you doing? Why are you doing it? What are you feeling? What do you want to create for yourself first? And don't worry about where it's going to go. Don't worry about how it's going to end. Don't worry about if it's going to achieve success. Do it because if you don't every day, you're dying just a little bit. So hope that answers that question. Yeah. So at the age of 50, uh, you know, based on average human lifespan, it's safe to say that you're halfway through uh, Yeah. And this is a fresh on my mind based because of the fact that you and I were having a conversation uh, just before we did record here uh, 
about this ad campaign that went viral in Spain, which was all about the time we have left with people that matter to us. And I wonder, what are you still afraid of? And what are you still insecure about? What am I afraid of? Failing as a father, failing as a husband, failing as a, as, as a, a caring, emotional person. Um, yeah, not, none of, none of, none of my, my, my fears, um, are about my art. Um, I'm not in, in insecurities, uh, turning 50, gaining a little more weight, losing a little bit of hair, not feeling as sexy as I once was, <laughs> you know? Uh, you know, I've got a couple pairs of rock and roll pants and jackets that I can't fit in anymore, and I keep them around. Hopefully, that uh, one of my kids will use them for Halloween. But yeah, that, those are those are my only insecurities, and those are all self-imposed. Um, I don't worry about my craft. I don't worry about my career, um, because. I've done it so long, I know what to do. It's, it's in me. It's in everything that I do. I find creativity and inspiration in absolutely anything, man. So my, my fears are just health and consciousness. That's, that's it. Those, those, those are, that's it. You know, just, I don't want to end up an asshole. You know? <laughs> Sorry, I'm overcoming a flu, so I got this <coughs> cough that rears its head. Um, but yeah, I just, I want to be the best person that I can and leave something behind that's meaningful and true. You know, yeah. that's, that's it, really. What matters to you now that didn't? What matters to me now? That didn't before. Oh, man. All right. So I'm going to share with you some events over the last couple of years here that will validate these, these, these words. Um, three years ago now, my wife had a health scare. And then I had a health scare. She's fine. I'm fine. But in that health scare of mine, um, I couldn't speak. And as a singer, and as somebody who obviously enjoys speaking, <laughs> um, that was quite a challenge. Um, and as I was waiting back for oral biopsies to come back, I had to talk through an iPad or just type on an iPad. And I actually thought about writing a book or releasing a book um, called um, My Side of the Story. And it was just 30 days of my answers to absolutely everything to everyone on an iPad. So all you're getting is, you know, answers. And people would pick it up and they'd read, what the hell is this? And I'd have to type, these are my answers from, oh, this meeting. These are my answers to, that one's to my wife. This one's to my son. This one's to some, you know. So it just got to be, you know, this, this comedy. Um, and then I had built a studio at that time 
uh, an analog studio, a, a beautiful vintage studio in my backyard. And I had just finished building it 30 days into it. And 30 and 30 days after I got the biopsy back that everything was cool, we lost everything in our, in our existence to Hurricane Matthew. Um, four feet of seawater and sewage came up through our house and our neighborhood and wiped us out. We lost everything. My studio, belongings, you, you name it. And when you have two little kids, it has, well, and a teen, um, it has an impact. It has an impact on your life that is, I, I still can't find the words um, to embody uh, the, the, the loss, the power of that moment. And having to watch it from a hotel room um, flood uh, on, a, on a handy cam from somebody's roof on Facebook, sitting in a hotel room, I've got to go deliver the news as my wife is putting our kids to sleep that we've lost our home. It takes a moment to digest that. And it takes a moment to find a way to uh, delicately deliver that information and deliver that news. So in all of that loss, there were two ways we could look at it. We are going to be pissed off and we are going to be just angry, angry as hell. Or we're going to bond as we always have been as a couple, as a family, and we're going to figure it out. We're going to figure out what's the next step. What do we do? Is there anything to salvage? All right. Do we need to move? Do we need to rebuild? And the community came together and man, it was in that moment, it was a work of the universe. People showed up in our yard and Strangers were digging through just all the crap in our house and emptying our home and ripping out our walls. And it was so powerful, you couldn't feel anything but blessed. You couldn't feel anything but just, just, just power of just positivity. People wanting to be there and going, why am I the one with 22 people in the yard? Why am I, there's people over there that are just two people standing in their yard. Why is my yard filled with people? And it was because of our attitude. We were there for them. We were helping them. They could come to us. They wanted to, you know, as much support as they could give, we gave them support back. It was, it was a challenge, man. And we had people offer, take their homes off the market so that we could live in them. We had people stay, you know, in New York for four extra months so that we could live in their, their condos until our home was, was ready. And everybody came together to assist us. So it's really hard to be angry. Sure, the loss, it's just shit, man. It's stuff. And when your stuff is literally covered in shit, you go, I don't need that anyway. Ooh, but I'm not going to keep that. So you really get back down to nothing and go, hey, 
how exciting is this? We get to start over. We really didn't like those shoes anyway. <laughs> and all that shit in the garage, oh, we could have never gotten rid of that. We've been trying to get rid of that pile of crap in the middle of our garage for two years, three years, seven years. All that shit is gone. Woo, we don't have to think about it anymore. And, you know, the challenge at, at that time was just keeping our kids straight, keeping our kids on a level of, uh, of just positive communication, letting them know, never letting them experience our stress. That was the challenge. We tried to, we didn't want it to affect them. That was the challenge for us. And that was our focus. We were going to be okay. It was a struggle between my wife and I, man. There were nights that we just laid there and I said, I have no idea what to do. I have no idea how we're going to make it. I have no idea what tomorrow is going to bring. And I love you. Don't be offended. I just want to go to sleep and I don't want to talk. I don't want to think about anything. And knowing that she felt exactly the same way, it was an incredibly bonding moment. And that happened many, many, many times. And sometimes the words weren't as gentle. Um, but we got through it. And we just kept looking forward to ordering the new stove and ordering the new, you know, <laughs> you know, bib sink and looking at door handles and looking at this and looking at that and restructuring our lives just in, in a positive way. So. We moved back into our house, and 32 days later, we're hit by Hurricane Irma. And we lose our house again. So, that time, I was a little more prepared, so I cocked all the doors, and I used marine-grade tape around all the entrances. So rather than, you know, 27, 36 inches throughout the house, um, we got three to five inches. Still enough, as they say, to fuck everything up. Um, we had to remove cabinets. We had to remove floorboards. We had to remove drywall again. But this time, we were so prepared, and I had been educated and had worked on my house for so long that it took us 30 days to get back into it, not 11 months. And I just immediately went to work. I got out my, you know, my skill saw and I cut out the walls and pulled things out, let everything dry out and just put the house back together as fast as I possibly could. That time I was a little pissed off. Um, but we still remained positive. We looked at, okay, so we need to do. And luckily people were there again to help us out and put us up and feed us a meal and you know, I had um, people just uh, who I met just by chance. Hey, you know, I've got this thing. Maybe you can use this thing. Hey, I can come over. I can chop that down. Hey, you need a guy who does this? I got a guy. So it was that, that those types of things, losing everything twice really makes you think about what's important. And it all comes back to the same thing, family, friends, community, and just love. Just, that's it. 
it's just understanding how to be a person on so many levels. And even though it, your, your life is in complete turmoil, you still have to communicate. You still have to go on. You still have to motivate yourself. You know, I have a wonderful person in my life. Um, he and his wife are, are dear friends to us, and he's also my business partner, uh, Joe and Maggie Spatarella. I just happened to meet him one night because somebody said, hey, you got to meet this guy. He's in music. And, you know, we're both like, eh, music people. And we totally hit it off. And we put a company together and we rebuilt a studio and we built the record company back up. And now we've got a production company. Um, and we're doing documentary films. And we, you just have to motivate yourself to keep going. Um, because it, it's just, not, nothing else matters. Not, all, all, we, we think about so much shit. We think about posting. We think about checking our inbox. We, we think about social media and staying relevant. Nobody gives a shit. They really don't, man. I mean, I, 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 I watch posts and I watch pe people come up to me going, I'm doing everything that I can. I'm playing as fast as I can. I'm doing my best stuff. And I'm not getting any likes. Nobody's watching. I'm not getting any followers. I'm like, what does that matter? What is that? That has nothing to do with your life. It has nothing to do with your art. It has nothing to do with who you are. Nobody knows you. Nobody cares. It's just vapor. It's gone. And I, you know, I, I like I said, I have to use it as a tool, but that's all I use it for. I don't get sucked in. I don't even, I don't even have a personal account that I post things on, <laughs> you know, because I don't, I don't care to share that much with people that I don't know. It's not that important to me. I'd much rather develop a relationship with you and, you know, keep in touch. Hey, how's, how's it going, man? What are you, what are you discovering? What's going on? Hey, how, how's the podcast going? Yeah, man, I'm working on this thing. That's cool. Yeah, you know, because we're communicating. You know, I've found somebody who is like-minded, like-spirited, and is constantly challenging himself and motivating himself to grow as an artist, as a person. And those are the type of people that I choose to have in my life. And they don't necessarily have to be artistic geniuses. They just have to be good people. I don't care what you do. I don't care if you're, you, you, you work at a Starbucks. I don't care if you pump gas. I don't care if you're, you don't have a job. If you're a good person, you're a good person. And you can't discover that through apps. You can't discover that through posts. You can assume based on the perception that they want you to see or how they portray themselves, but you don't know, you know, and I, I don't have the I don't have the time <laughs> or the desire to to find out. I like human interaction. I like tactile projects. I like turning knobs. I like playing keys. I like playing drums. I like sitting down and looking at somebody and seeing their emotions, seeing the passion, seeing how their words are formed and their in, intention. You can't get that from you know, social media, 
So that's where I'm at. I, I think that it, I, I think I answered that. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, that I think makes a really fitting end to the conversation. I can't imagine a better conversation than you have in my first conversation. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Ah, uh, truth. Truth. That, 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 that to me is such a hard word to find um, in, in, in so many parts of life. I mean, in news, in media, in personal relationships, in, in art, in, I, I just, in communication, period. You know, you go through something like losing everything and you would expect people to at least be honest with you. And they're not. They're taking advantage of you because they know you need them. Um, and relationships. You have a, a, a life that is blessed and successful and people aren't there to be your friend on a level of just purity, they want something. Um, in music, I want to hear somebody miss a note. I want to hear somebody screw up on guitar. I want to hear somebody not whack the snare drum the same way for three and a half minutes. I want truth in expression, in communication, in art. I want people to realize that they can be honest. I want people to realize that they can be truthful and they will be accepted and they will be, you know, respected and honored for just being true. That's, that's what I think is unmistakably creative in any, any venue, any medium. You know, creativity is in absolutely everything that we do every day. And it's, I, I just long for it to be true. And that's what I, I try and do to my best ability. I know that the people that I, I surround myself are trying to do exactly the same thing. They want to breed and deliver truth. Amazing. Um, well, I, I can't thank you for taking the time to join us and share your story. This has been really good. Uh, where can people find out more about you, your work, etc.? Um, I'm currently available through <laughs> through a documentary um, that I'm doing right now, um, patchcv.com. Um, it's a it's a a documentary on modular synthesis and the movement of people that create um, art only to lose it and dismantle it after every piece is created. Uh, and uh, that was incredibly inspiring to me, where people could just 
turn on their synthesizer and create something for the moment, be present, be active, be interactive, and then turn it off and it's gone forever. And they're okay with it. <laughs> so <laughs> it's pretty cool. Um, I can be reached at info at patchcv.com. Um, and that's about it. I have a, a record company, record label, and a, a film and uh, TV sync music company called gearkidscreative.com. Um, and then organic vinyl, uh, which is, which is a small label of, of incredibly talented people, uh, deserving of so much attention, so much more attention. <laughs> Amazing. Well, this has been phenomenal. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World, and this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.